and the first time I watched it, I just, <laughs> I thought his head was cut off, and he was <laughs> he was just walking around headless. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, he has a head, <laughs> or maybe he's just pulling a cornholio, or maybe he's like two kids in a trench coat. Oh, I love that bit. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to Franchise Frights Podcast. This is Mandy. This is Cam. And hello. How is everyone out there in podcast listening land today? I hope you're doing well. I hope you're doing well too. What day does this come out on? The 20 something or other. 29th. The 29th. I don't think so. I think the 29th is a Wednesday. No. It's Thursday. Okay. My birthday's on a Wednesday. Oh, okay. Sounds good. Oh, so it's leap day. It is leap day. Hey. Maybe, Special day. Maybe maybe this is when the asteroid hits. Oh, that'd be nice. Wouldn't it? I'm ready for that. <laughs> Guys, this is our third round of movies. It is. We're starting. Starting. We're starting. That's a lot. That's We've already gone through 20 whole movies and two bonus episodes and an Intro, intro episode. episode yeah we're doing so many episodes i know we're like doing this podcast business i guess speaking of podcast business rate review subscribe and share <laughs> i know it's annoying but we have to say it yeah well we're not obligated but we are well i, I mean if we ever want a mail delivery meal kit to sponsor us <laughs> then we need to keep saying it yeah do you have horror movie news i do have horror movie news i don't so for the fans of true crime out there peacock is going to make a limited series called john wayne gacy devil in disguise oh so that could be neat i think they already did something on him didn't they uh netflix did i think i thought peacock had something on him too oh Maybe they're going to have more than one thing on him. Maybe. Maybe the first thing did so well. Yeah. And uh, there's going to be a new vampire movie made by Radio Silence, the people who did the last couple of Scream movies. Oh. And it's called Abigail, and it's dropping on April 19th. Would you like to hear the plot? I would love it. After a group of would-be criminals kidnap the 12-year-old ballerina daughter of a powerful underworld figure, all they have to do is collect a $50 million ransom and watch the girl overnight. In an isolated mansion, the captors start to dwindle one by one, and they discover to their mounting horror that they're locked inside with no normal little girl. Uh-oh. And it just received an R rating for strong bloody violence and gore throughout, pervasive language, and brief drug use. Ooh. So I'm ready for that. Yeah. I like blood and gore throughout. I don't, but we haven't had a good vampire movie for a 
Long it, while. It's been a minute. I mean, Twilight was the last one. I know. <laughs> Breaking Dawn Part Two was Breaking Dawn. Were those the last ones? I think so. There was Twilight, and then New Moon, and Eclipse, Eclipse, and then Breaking, Breaking Dawn One and Two. I think so. Sounds good. Breaking Dawn Two, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> I'm never letting it go. <laughs> would you like to tell the kids what we watched? I would. We watched Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Indeed we did. Would you like to know some information about this okay movie? I would love to. <laughs> it was released October 22nd, 1982. Hey, I, that was a good year. I wasn't even born yet. I was old. <laughs> Starring Tom Atkins, Stacey Nelkin, and Dan O. Herlihy. Herlihy. That's a fun name. Directed and written by Tommy Lee Wallace. Produced by Deborah Hill and John Carpenter. Cinematography by Dean Cundy. Music by John Carpenter and Alan How Howworth. <laughs> How? <laughs> The production company is Dino De Laurentiis Corporation and Deborah Hill Productions, distributed by Universal Pictures. It has a runtime of 99 minutes, a budget of $4.6 million. That's $14.7 million today. And a box office of $14.4 million. That's $46 million today. Oh. It has an IMDb rating of 5.3. A Rotten Tomatoes critic score of 50% and an audience score of 28%. They can fuck right off with that score. <laughs> um, and then the Rotten Tomatoes critics consensus is it's laudable. Laudable. I don't know that word. Laudable. Like um, like if you laud someone, you're like celebrating them. Oh. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> It's laudable deviation from series formula, notwithstanding, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, offers paltry thrills and dubious plotting. I feel like that was just a lot of big words thrown together. It's like something I'd write. <laughs> I love my words. I know you do. do you, would you like to um, tell me what some critics thought of it? Yes, I would. Roger Ebert said, there are a lot of problems with Halloween 3. But the most basic one is that I could never figure out what the villain wanted to accomplish if he got his way. His scheme is easy enough to figure. He wants to sell millions of Halloween masks to the nation's kitties and then brainwash them to put them on at the same time, whereupon laser beams at the base of the neck will fry the tykes. Meanwhile, he runs a factory that turns out lifelike robots. Was What's his plan? Kill the kids and replace them with robots? Why? It's <laughs> a valid question. Vincent Canby of New York Times said, Halloween 3 manages the not easy feat of being anti-children, anti-capitalism, anti-television, and anti-Irish all at the same time. They're just playing the hits, you know? <laughs> Film critic Chris Stuckman said, Absolutely atrocious. I admire the fact that they did try to propel the story in a different direction, but the story they chose was insanely boring. Oh. I disagree. Me too. Someone from TV Guide magazine, there was no author credited, 
said, though the film certainly isn't awful, the filmmakers couldn't decide on their focus. Did they want the picture to be a fun little piece of black humor or did they want to go the usual blood and gore route? I think they did both. They did. I thought there were some very clever, fun parts to it Mm -hmm. and some good gore. What comes to your mind when you think of this movie? I rented this movie for a sleepover with a couple of friends when I was like 12 or 13. Uh, none of us had ever seen it, and we didn't realize that this was a Michael Myerless chapter in mm-hmm. the Halloween saga. And we just saw Halloween on the cover, and we grabbed it. We're yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Let's... We've seen one and two. Let's go three. Yeah. And once I got over the shock of not having Michael in it, I was pretty intrigued. It wasn't great. But it was a fun hour and a half with my friends, and we got to laugh at some cheesy scenes and mm-hmm. some bad character acting. And since that first viewing, I've really grown to appreciate this movie. Like, it has its issues, mm-hmm. but it's a good time, and it's kind of a nice break between two and four. Like, it's a nice little palate cleanser after yeah. you're like, okay, so I guess maybe Loomis and Michael are dead. Oh, there's another Halloween movie. Without Michael. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is kind of in the movie. Well, yeah. (laughs) I said, when I think of this movie, the only thing that comes to mind is the stupid silver shamrock song, which I know I will now have in my head for a week after watching this. Eight more days till Halloween, Uh Halloween, Halloween. And like, that's, I, I remember there being masks in it and that was about it. Really? Yeah. That's all you remembered? I think I've only seen this movie once. Really? I've seen it a lot. I imagine. I like it. (laughs) Would you like me to start the plot rundown? I would. We open with a staticky screen and some synthy music. Orange lines are forming on the screen in full 80s digital glory, and the lines make a jack-o'-lantern. So we have kind of an 80s modern take on the intro from the first two Halloween movies. Mm -hmm. Then the screen flashes on and off. Now we see Northern California on the screen. October, Saturday the 23rd. A man's running down a deserted road with an orange thing tucked into his belt. (laughs) And a car is following him very slowly. The synth music is very ominous at this point. And the man is trying to get inside any building that he can on this little fenced-in property. Yeah. Looks like maybe like an auto shop. I don't, it almost looks like there's a loading dock, too, though, doesn't yeah. there? Like, I don't really know what it's supposed it's to be. It's an industrial area. The car that was following the man stops outside the fence to the property that he's hiding on and then slowly drives away. The man continues trying to find a place to hide on the property, and the car comes back and pulls inside the gate. The man ent- encounters an emotionless guy in a suit wearing some leather gloves, and instantly you're like, this guy's up to no good. Yeah. He looks ominous. He does. The emotionless guy in the glove starts choking our fleeing man, and the man finds a chain attached to some wheel chocks holding an old car in place. He pulls the chain, releases the chocks, and the car rolls forward, smashing the emotionless suited man. No. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's no way that this would have killed this man. Well, what we find out later... Well, I know, but it's like... (laughs) He might have had a broken rib. I'm going to smash you between two old cars. Okay. See how you fare. (laughs) Our fleeing friend picks up his orange trinket from the ground and runs off as another suited guy gets out of the car that was following him. 
And now we see one hour later on the screen. It's raining hard and we see a gas station. Inside, there's a TV playing some news telling us that one of the large stones from Stonehenge has gone missing. That doesn't sound good. No, I wonder if that's going to be a plot point. Probably not. It weighed more than five tons, making its disappearance a mystery indeed. <laughs> now a sh silver shamrock ad plays on the TV showing happy children's heads bobbing that then get a mask superimposed over them. And the song is London Bridge is Falling Down, but with the lyrics replaced to Eight more days till Halloween, 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 eight more days till Halloween, Silver Shamrock. In the commercial, how it transitions from the children's face to the masks is terrifying. I, I don't find it terrifying. You don't? It's so creepy. I just found it very, like, nostalgic. Oh. And, like, the way the uh, Silver Shamrock logo, like, flies up yeah. onto the screen. The power goes out in the gas station, and the attendant hears a crashing sound outside. He looks out the windows but sees nothing. Then our fleeing friend from earlier jumps out of nowhere and accosts the attendant. He collapses to the floor and says, They're coming. They're coming. And he holds up a silver shamrock jack-o'-lantern mask. We see the tow truck from the service station pull away, and a suited man steps out of the shadows and watches the truck leave. I feel like there's a lot of agents around here. I know. They're all very Agent Smith. Mm-hmm. Now we cut to a house where a man is entering. Two children are very happy to see him. When he enters... <laughs> He has his coat pulled up over his head, and the first time I watched it, I just, <laughs> I thought his head was cut off, and he was <laughs> he was just walking around headless. <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh, he has a head," <laughs> or maybe he's just pulling a cornholio, or maybe he's like two kids in a trench coat. Oh, I love that bit. <laughs> so he gives the children some Halloween masks, but their mom has already given the kids some rad ass silver shamrock masks. The kids put them on and sing the song, and the lady of the house does not seem very happy to see this dad. She makes a couple of snarky comments, and then his beeper goes off. He has to call in. And the lady's snarky remark about this tells us that he's a doctor who enjoys being drunk. Yeah, pretty much. The kids sit down right in front of the TV, and the silver- Do you know who his wife is? Yeah. Okay. I, I thought you would mention it. Oh, yeah. She's Annie the asshole. Okay. <laughs> She was in the first Halloween movie. Yeah. And The Fog. And I can't remember. She was in another John Carpenter movie, I think. Oh. I just thought it was odd you didn't mention it. Oh. No. I just skipped it, I guess. Lame. I'm sorry. So the kids are in front of the TV, like right in front of the TV. Like noses to the screen. Yes. And the Silver Shamrock ad starts playing. So that's time number two. And the mom bitches at them to turn the volume down, and they both give her these blank stares from behind their masks. <laughs> and I think that might be one of the creepiest images in the whole movie. Uh huh. The doctor man is being called in to work, so we cut to a hospital where a nurse fills him in on the condition of the patient he was called in for. It's our fleeing friend. The gas station attendant uh, fills the doctor in on what he needs to know, and the fleeing friend still has the mask with him. In the room next to them, the Silver Shamrock ad plays for the third time already in this movie. <laughs> and the fleeing friend says, They're going to kill us. All of us. 
The doc doesn't like this, and he orders 100 milligrams of Thorazine for our fleeing friend. And the station attendant walks away like, fuck it, it's your problem now. Yeah. He even looks <laughs> over his shoulder like, I'm just leaving. Like, do you need anything else? Am I free to go? Outside the hospital, we see the suited man who watched the tow truck leave get out of his car and start walking towards the hospital. Inside, our hero, Dr. Chalice. Ugh. I don't like calling him a hero because he's, he's really not. gross. Can we just call him, like, the protagonist? Yeah. But Dr. Chalice has just finished whatever he needed to do with the patient. So he tells the nurse that he needs a nap and then offers her the chance to take a nap with him. They giggle, and the fleeing friend still has the mask hugged to his chest in his Thorazine stupor. I like that no one attempted to pull it away from him. Yeah, they're like, oh, no, that's, that's his. Yeah, that grown man's holding a mask. Yeah, it's not weird at all. The suited man watches the doctor walk down the hall with the nurse, and she tells him that there's milk and cookies in the fridge, and he tells her, I should have married you, and then grabs her butt. And she replies with, hey, watch it now, I play for keeps. And at this moment, I thought, oh, this is kind of cute. Like, you can tell they have a cute relationship and, like, they're fun co-workers. And then the movie keeps going on and I'm like, oh, it's not as cute anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, once you know who Dr. Chalice is, this scene's not cute. Mm -mm. So now the score starts to get scary. Dr. Chalice goes into the lounge and grabs a cookie out of the fridge. Yeah. Who keeps the cookies in the fridge? I don't know. And we see the empty halls of the hospital. The suited man walks slowly and unnoticed through the halls. Dr. Chalice lays down on a couch that's too small for him to take a nap. And the suited man puts on leather gloves while he's hiding in an empty hospital room. You know that means he means business. He's getting down to it. The suited man finds our fleeing friend and walks to his bedside. He puts a leather-gloved hand over the fleeing man's mouth digs his thumb and his forefinger into his eyes and breaks his skull? It, I think so. It, it like, almost looked like he pulled, like... I guess, is this still your sternum up here? No, your sternum's in your chest. Septum? <laughs> I would just say the bridge of the nose. Okay, well, he, like, pulls his bridge of the nose, like, away from the rest of his face. Yeah. And I'm like, would that kill somebody or would it just hurt really I think bad? It just hurt really bad. So after he does this, he wipes the blood off of his leather gloves on the room dividing curtain. The nurse comes in and asks Suited Man what he's doing in there, and he just stares at her and casually walks out of the room. Yeah. She screams, and this alerts Dr. Chalice. He goes running down the hall towards the screams and sees the suited man walk through a doorway while the nurse just kind of stammers and goes, he, 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 and points after him. I don't know what I would say either because he tore his face apart. <laughs> he ripped the mask guy's head apart. <laughs> Dr. Chalice runs out of the hospital to see the suited man dousing himself in gasoline. He then lights a lighter and immolates himself. And of course, since it's 1982, the car explodes. And it shoots debris everywhere. Yes. It's not just a regular car explosion. It's a big one. And it blows the doors. It literally blows yes. the doors <laughs> off the car. Now we see cops and firefighters hanging out in the doctor's lounge. And it seems like nobody's doing any work. They're oh. all just hanging out. Mm -hmm. Dr. Chalice calls his ex to tell her that something happened at work and he won't be able to pick up the kids. And she rants and raves and... 
he doesn't listen. He just like puts the phone down by his side mm-hmm. and lets her just keep going. And I like that he looks at the cop and he goes, it's my ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> so he tries telling her that two men died and he keeps trying to explain, but she just keeps yelling at him. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, I'm not hearing anything you say, buddy. So he tells her that he's going to take the kids on Saturday night for the whole night. And then he's like, apologize to them for me. Oh, he's trying to be a good dad and a good doctor and a good drunk. Yeah. (laughs) So during the phone call, a cop walks into the lounge carrying the jack-o'-lantern mask. It's not in a bag or anything. He's just fondling it. Why would you need it in a bag? Oh, that's true. Dr. Chalice looks at the mask and sees there's a silver shamrock tag on it. And there's just general hustle and bustle going on. Now the screen reads, Sunday, the 24th. Dr. Chalice is looking out the window in fleeing friend's room. And he's staring out at the smoking car in the parking lot. Because it's still smoking. It is. It it smoked for a long time. Mm -hmm. That was a big fire. Our fleeing friend is still in his hospital bed with the blankets pulled up over his face. And it seems like the cops are just about to finish up. The medical examiner has a pipe in his mouth. (laughs) Ah, the 80s. And an absolutely gorgeous woman comes into the room. She is beautiful. Like, she's just, like, she's a 10. Yeah. And she asks if the man in the bed is her father. She's there to identify him. The cop urges against it, but she insists by saying, let's get this over with. So I get the impression her and dad weren't very close. Mm -hmm. She's shocked by what she sees, and the cop tells her that someone on drugs came in and did this to her father. She isn't happy, but the cop tells her it's under investigation. And, And like, he treats her like she is a hysterical woman. Yes. (laughs) Like, her dad died. She wants some answers. That's it. But he's like, I'll only talk to you after you calm down and get some sleep. Yeah. What? (laughs) <laughs> well, it's morning. I mean, you don't know what time she got up. <laughs> she drove all through the night. Oh. So Dr. Chalice is getting ready to leave the hospital, and he sees the pretty lady crying at the end of the hall, and then he just walks away. <laughs> Good bedside manner. Now the screen reads, Wednesday the 27th. We're just like steaming through the days mm-hmm. now. And we're outside the coroner's office. Dr. Chalice is talking to the coroner's assistant. He's looking for some answers. The coroner's assistant, Teddy. I I like that her name is Teddy. That's fun. You do? Yeah. I met a girl named Johnny today. Really? Yeah. That's fun. I like that. Johnny Walker. Like like the bourbon? Yeah. That was her name was Johnny Walker. Or is it Scotch? I think it's Scotch. But it was J-O-N-N-I-E. Oh. So the coroner's assistant, Teddy, tells him that their perp was just a pile of ashes and they're having a hard time figuring out anything about him. She confirms that the suited man did indeed pull fleeing friend's skull apart. Ew. And she says, you gotta have a little lower arm strength to do that. (laughs) And she's a horrible actor. She is the best. Horrible. Dr. Chalice requests that Teddy checks this one out personally. And she says she'll see what she can do for him. Then we get hints that they may have a romantic past. Mm-hmm. So it turns out the doc is a sleazy player. And then I put, oh, the doc likes putting his hands on all the ladies. And that mustache tells me that he's probably good at it, too. Yeah. Now the screen reads, Friday the 29th. I mean, like, 
Days are just flying by. It's like we're just fast-forwarding the calendar. Dr. Chalice is sitting at a bar, just he and the bartender, and for some reason there are cartoons on the TV at the bar. Yeah, I thought that was weird. The doctor is smoking and drinking. Ah, the 80s. (laughs) And the bartender turns the channel and we see an ad for the original Halloween. So Michael is in this movie because we see him walk down the steps. Yeah. I wasn't sure. That's what I thought. But then also Dick Warlock is in this. And so I wasn't sure. (laughs) Cockwitch. (laughs) I wasn't sure which version of Michael you were referring to. So the bartender turns the channel. We see that Halloween ad and the ad mentions a big giveaway after the movie sponsored by Silver Shamrock. They never tell us what the giveaway is. It's just a giveaway. Oh. You just want it. (laughs) So Dr. Drunk is sick of the Silver Shamrock ads, and he tells the bartender to turn the channel again. Now the pretty lady from earlier walks in and introduces herself as Ellie. Which is, like, the cutest name ever for her. Yes. And Dr. Man introduces himself as Dan. She tells him that one of the nurses at the hospital (laughs) told her that he would be at this bar. So it appears the doc has a drinking problem. Yeah. Ellie tells Dan that she saw him at the funeral and a- and asks if her dad told him anything the night that he was brought into the hospital. Dan lies and tells her that her dad said, uh, tell Ellie I love her. And then he downs a shot of whiskey. Uh-huh. She knows it's a lie. And apparently somebody has some daddy issues. And now Dan is very <laughs> interested. Then he tells her the truth about her dad and his odd behavior and proclamation that they're going to kill us all. And like, you can tell he's kind of spooked here. Uh huh. Like, he's creeped out. So we cut to a store that Ellie said her dad owns. And she said the store was hurting due to the new mall in town. Well, yeah, because malls rule. (laughs) She tells Dan that her dad was a wonderful man and can't figure out why someone would want him dead. We see a silver shamrock mask display next to them. Ellie says that her father wrote down everything. On October 20th, he was supposed to pick up more masks, and on the 21st, he was supposed to have dinner with a friend. He never made it to the dinner. So she posits that he ran into trouble somewhere after picking up the masks. Oh, no. So they have to go to Santa Mira, where the masks are made. That's where they make the masks. So we cut to Dan calling his ex and ditching out on his kids to hit the road with Ellie. Yeah, she's a hot young thing. Yeah. He lies and tells his ex that he's going to a doctor's conference. So she yells at him a bunch and he's like, I promise I'll be home on Monday and I'll take the kids trick or treating. You just keep making promises. Yeah. So he hangs up and he has a sixer of Miller Genuine Draft. Yep. And he runs across the street and gets into Ellie's car. As they pull away, another silver shamrock ad runs on the TVs at the store that he was on the payphone in front of. Mm-hmm. So this is time number five we've heard the ad. Oh my, that's a lot. Dan and Ellie are driving through farm country, and Dan gives her some facts about the town of Santa Mira. <laughs> it was a farming community that grew up around a large dairy. After World War II, an Irish businessman, Connell Cochran, converted the dairy, <laughs> cock, into a <laughs> toy factory called Silver Shamrock it's Novelties. Like Colonel Cock. Colonel Cock. Silver Shamrock is the largest producer of Halloween masks in the world now, and the town is predominantly Irish. And then Ellie scoffs, saying, Irish Halloween masks? Um, almost all of our Halloween traditions in the U.S. are traced back to 
Ireland and Scotland. So maybe read a book, Ellie. Well, I I noted that I because I was reading your notes and I was like, although I think this was com or I don't think this was common knowledge in the eighties. I think that like they were just like Halloween. We did this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, the Christian agenda wasn't going to let them know that it's like based in witchcraft and paganism celtic stuff yeah druids and whatnot so i could see where in like the 80s it wasn't known you see the internet did some good things for us don't ever say that we know the truth now oh do your own research (laughs) read a book so they pass a sign saying welcome to santa mira home of silver shamrock novelties And as they drive into town, everyone they pass stares at them with intrigue and a bit of distrust. Mm -hmm. The town's very small and very outdated. They pass an alley where a suited man is standing. And they notice that everyone in the town is staring at them as they drive through. And Dan says, company town. (laughs) Okay. That's been to a lot of towns where people just stare at you because you don't work at the plant. I think that it's just like all the people that live there work there, so they all know each other. So like they recognize strangers. Outlander! (laughs) There are security cameras following them through the town. They drive up to the plant, but Ellie says she's not ready yet. Dan suggests that they go to the gas station and poses some buyers and ask questions about the plant. Then they could rent a couple rooms at the motel and have a place to talk without the whole town watching them. See how he snuck himself in to get in a hotel room with her? Yeah. But she likes the plan. Oh, she does. She's okay with it. And we find out later she was fully prepared for this plan. Yeah. They pull up to the gas station motel combo, and a friendly man greets them with his gas for sale for $1.32 a gallon for unleaded. Ah, the 80s. I think gas was $1.19 when I started driving. Uh, the first tank I bought was 94 cents a gallon, and then I think the next week it went up to like a buck 17. Really? I, re- I remember 119 for some reason. Dan puts his arm around oh Ellie. Oh my God, we're old. We just. Back in my day, <laughs> you know how much I used to pay for a Snickers bar? <laughs> so Dan puts his arm around Ellie and asks the man if there are any vacancies in the motel for he and his wife. Yeah, good job, Dan. Just trick her into sleeping with you. Uh huh. Well, they're married now. She has to. Yeah. It's called consummation. The motelier opens a pink door to their room and says, it's cozy, it's quiet, and the price is right. Oh, you're pretty good at that. I, you know. Did you practice? No, I didn't. (laughs) Dan tells Ellie to keep the motelier busy while he goes, I love saying motelier. While he goes to snoop through the guest register in the office. He finds Ellie's father's name on the registry. So now we know he was there. Dan signs the registry, and outside, the motelier points out that Mr. Cochran is driving by. He's How t- exciting. I know. He's so excited. It's like, I mean, this is like Sting is driving by. <laughs> I don't know why I went to Sting. <laughs> when I think of the most famous man in the world, I think of Sting. That's what I was just going to say. I was like... I was like agreeing and then I was like he just said fucking sting <laughs> big fan of Roxanne big fan you don't even like sting I liked that album 10 summoners tales <laughs> so the motelier stops everything he's doing and he waves at him and he gushes about Cochran being such a genius 
Dan's walking from the office to the room when a Winnebago pulls in. They slam the brakes on and the bike that they have on the front falls and almost hits him. Mm-hmm. And now he meets the Kupfer family. Buddy, Buddy Jr., who's a little asshole, and his wife, Betty, who's wearing a rad purple jumpsuit and has rollers in her hair. I like this family's whole vibe. <laughs> the dad's dressed like he's going to go golfing with his buddies. Uh-huh. And she's, she's something else. Mm-hmm. So the kid takes off on his bike and the mom yells at him not to ride in the street. And the little redheaded asshole flips her off in return. <laughs> Another car pulls into the parking lot. And an angry woman jumps out of the car, cursing the factory for having their orders all screwed up again, making me stay in this shithole. She's not happy. She's not. So Dan walks into the motel room with Ellie, and she tells Dan that she saw Cochran's car. And he tells her, your dad stayed here. Oh, all the pieces of the puzzle are coming together. All they had to do was go to Santa Mira. Yeah. She wants to go directly to the factory and start asking questions. But Dan says it's getting late and he could use a drink because that six pack of beer he pounded on the way here wasn't enough. I think he just wants to stay the night. Oh, yeah. So he tells her that he could get another room or he could sleep in the car. It's better than this floor anyway. And she looks at him seductively and says, where do you want to sleep, Dr. Chalice? And he replies with, that's a dumb question, Miss Grimbridge. It's so gross. So yeah, they're going to boink. Yeah. And he comes over and kisses her. He tickles her upper lip with his mustache. (laughs) We cut to outside and we see the sun setting and music plays over the loudspeakers all over the town. A woman's voice announces, it's six o'clock. It's six o'clock. Curfew. Curfew. All residents of Santa Mira, please (laughs) please clear the streets. Curfew is now in effect. Please confine your activities to your own homes. Thank you, and have a pleasant evening. What? Uh, <laughs> Is, that's not okay. Okay, if, if it was like 11 o'clock, maybe. Why the fuck 6 o'clock? It, maybe it's like that Christian prosperity gospel of, you know, early to bed, early to rise. May- that's how you're a good person. Maybe. But while the announcement is playing, we see the town's residents closing their shades and curtains and bringing their pets inside. Yeah, because you even have to bring the pets inside. Yeah, even little tiger kitty can't What's be going out. to happen? I don't know. So now it's nighttime in Santa Mira, and security cameras scan the town, and they have fancy 1980s night vision on it, them. It's pretty awesome. Dan comes out of the only store that's open and walks, walks past all the closed businesses on Main Street. As he cuts through an alley, a man jumps out and scares him, and we get a John Carpenter stinger. And of course, Dan's carrying a brown bottle bag. Brown bag bottle. Brown bag bottle. The man looks down on his luck, and possibly unhoused, and he tells Dan, that bottle looks pretty heavy, and then asks him for a drink, and he even tells Dan he doesn't have any diseases. Mm -hmm. So Dan, being the good doctor he is, he just hands him the bottle and lets him have a swig. The man thanks him and starts off, and Dan stops him and asks him if he knows anything about Connell Cochran. And the man says, Cochran brought in all of the factory workers from the outside and wouldn't hire any locals. Then he tells Dan to watch out because the cameras are definitely on to him. Then he shouts into the air, Hey, Cochran! Fuck you! (laughs) Then the down-on-his-luck man says that this is the last Halloween for Silver Shamrock. 
He says there are weird things going on in the factory, but he doesn't tell Dan what the weird things are. No. He just threatens to get about a case and a half of Molotov cocktails <laughs> to burn the factory down. Mm-hmm. About a case and a half. Yeah. Not a case and a third. No. Not a case and three quarters. Not just a case. No. You need a case and a half but for that job. Too, too many. Yes. So Dan and Down on His Luck Guy part, and we follow Down on His Luck Guy to his little shack while he sings the Silver Shamrock song in drunken fashion. He takes a swig from a bottle and sprays some easy cheese on some bread. And it's Wonder Bread. Okay, if you're down on your luck, why do you have easy cheese and Wonder Bread? Yeah, get the generic shit, bud. Two suited guys nab Down on His Luck Guy, and he pleads with them saying, Tell him I was just kidding, he knows that. One of the suited guys takes off his down on his luck guy's hat <laughs> and pulls his head right off his neck. <laughs> so down on his luck guy was wearing a hat. Yeah. And the other guy pulled his head off. Yeah. 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 That's but, where I was going with that. That's okay. There was a lot of guys. Yeah. There's <laughs> too many guys in my life. But uh, the special effects here were pretty decent. They were. Like there's a lot of blood spray. And I like how. As he's holding dead guy's head in his uh-huh. hand, he just like suited guy looks up at other suited guy and they just look at each other like, okay. Now what? We did that. <laughs> Back in the motel, Ellie meets Marge Gutman, who was the angry lady in the parking lot earlier. She says that Silver Shamrock makes great masks, but their customer service is slipping and their quality isn't as good as it used to, used to be. She shows Ellie a mask that her kid was throwing against a wall. <laughs> And the silver shamrock tag just popped right off of it. Can you imagine that? Yeah. So Marge goes into her room after telling Ellie to drop by her San Francisco store sometime. Marge sets down her bag in the room, and she still has the silver shamrock tag sitting on the dresser, and her bag knocks it off the dresser onto the floor. We see something embedded in the backside of the tag. It looks like a little miniature circuit board. Ooh. In Ellie and Dan's room, Ellie gets out of the shower, partially wraps herself in a towel for two seconds before running out into the room and wrapping herself in the comforter from the bed and standing in front of the heater. What the fuck? Now your comforter that you have to sleep under all night is fucking wet. You deserve to die in this horror movie, Ellie. I don't care how hot you are. I I don't even have words for this. What? Why? I said, stay in the bathroom. Yeah. Like, you're cold because you ran into the next room and grabbed a comforter that's been sitting there and staying in the warm room and drying yourself off. Yeah. I don't get it. And also, we didn't even get to see any boob. No. Back in Marge's room, she's listening to some classical music and reading a book. I can't do that. I need silence to read her. I do not retain anything. I am the exact opposite. Oh, I I know. I cannot read in a silent room. Yesterday, you had the TV on, had your headphones on, and we're reading a book. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. How? (laughs) Um, Because I'm magic. Because you have ADD. (laughs) So Dan is calling Teddy from the motel office. Like, their room doesn't even have a phone? No. The hell kind of shithole is this? Like from the 40s. So Teddy's a horrible actor again and can't deliver a line to save her life. She tells Dan that the ashes she's analyzing for him seem to be part of the car and the envelope she got is just plastic and metal. No human remains. Uh Uh-oh. Dan tells her 
the name of the hotel they're staying at. And she says, ciao. She's so worldly. She is. So Dan comes back to he and Ellie's motel room and he knocks before he comes in because he is a gentleman. That is polite. He comes in to find her wrapped in the blanket. She approaches him and drops the blanket, revealing some skimpy lingerie. Ooh. And now it's boink time and we get to see a singular boob. Yep. One boob. One boob. We couldn't have seen both boobs when she got out of the shower. No. After the but, boink- but this means that she was thinking of this. Yes. She packed sexy lingerie. Mm-hmm. She saw him in that bar and she was like, as I live and breathe. <laughs> so after the boinking, they're snuggling and listening to the radio when the silver shamrock ad comes on. Dan is very sick of this jingle and quickly switches the station. I would too. Then Ellie jumps on him, ready to boink again, and he's like, wait a minute, how old are you? (laughs) And she's like, relax, I'm older than I look. And he's like, oh, well, you just killed my boner. Aww. (laughs) He didn't actually say that for the people who haven't seen the movie. In Marge's room, she looks frustrated and slams her book shut, probably because she couldn't focus on it with music playing. And she notices the silver shamrock tag on the floor and its weird little circuit board in the back. She pulls a bobby pin from her hair and tries to pry the circuit board out of the tag. A blue laser beam shoots from the tag into her mouth. That doesn't seem right. Now we see the aftermath, and Marge's mouth is ripped wide open from the laser blast, and it looks gnarly. Yeah. Her eyes are all bloodshot, and some of her teeth are missing, and she's writhing and, like, gasping. And then a big, ugly bug crawls out of her mouth, and we can see her feet kicking beneath the blanket, and the bug crawls into her hair. I don't like this scene at all. No, it's bad. It's so bad. But it was very good of makeup effects. Oh, yeah. That looked great. And it was effective. Uh Uh-huh. Now commotion in headlights outside wakes up Dan. He gets out of bed, and we see his man ass. Okay. I do not find Dan one bit attractive. Like, there's nothing attractive about that man. But damn, he's got hot dad bod. (laughs) He was like that, like, the boxer build from, like, the 80s. Yeah. Where it's like, they were strong, but they weren't cut. Mm -hmm. He just has, like, hot dad bod. Yeah. He puts on his pants and his shoes, and he looks outside to see several men in white coats going into Marge's room. By the time he and Ellie get outside, the emotionless white coat men, who look a lot like the suited men from earlier... Maybe they just changed clothes. Maybe. They're carrying Marge out on a stretcher with the sheet pulled over her face. Dan tells him that he's a doctor and offers his assistance, and they just hold him back. They don't need a doctor. The motelier comes out and tells him that Marge will get the best care money can buy because Mr. Cochran is on the case. Oh. Then Cochran pulls up in his car and greets the assembled crowd outside, and the motelier is so excited to see Cochran. He goes over and just stands by him, (laughs) just smiling like, he said my name. He knows who I am. So Cochran tells Dan and Ellie that Marge is being taken to the factory where they have the most marvelous facility for emergency treatment. Why? Yeah. They have a lot of accidents up there at the factory? I don't know. Then he walks away and under his breath asks one of the emotionless white coat men what happened and the man replies, Misfire. Cochran looks concerned and walks away. 
Dan tries to follow after him, but Ellie holds him back and reminds him they need to be inconspicuous, even though they just talk to the dude. Mm-hmm. So we see the van that Marge was loaded into, followed by two white cars. The van's white, the cars are all white, and they're marked with the silver shamrock logo on the doors. They're official. They pull into the factory. Back in the motel room, Dan and Ellie discuss leaving, but Ellie wants to get to the bottom of why her father was killed. Now it's morning, Saturday the 30th. That's the day before Halloween, y'all. <laughs> Dan calls Teddy again. She's finished sifting the ashes, and she tells him that all she has is ashes and car parts. There's no teeth or bone chunks. Maybe they burned up. Maybe. Dan tells her to look into Connell Cochran, and she spells it right without even asking how. Yeah, I'd, I couldn't have done that. Teddy's smart. Then she tells him that this is going to cost him some serious dinners when he gets back, and he tells her, I'm always ready for dinner with you. He hangs up. The camera pans down, and we see that just below the phone he was talking on behind the desk, there's a little microphone. It's bugged. Uh-oh. Dan and Ellie pull up to the factory, and a suited man steps into frame watching them enter. We get a perfect John Carpenter Cynthia mm-hmm. Sting sound here. Inside the factory, Ellie and Dan are, take, are uh, talking to the desk clerk, who shows them that her father picked up the mask order on the 21st, and they even have his signature. A worker comes in and tells Ellie that he loaded the order into an old green station wagon that headed north when it left. That guy remembers a lot. He does. As Dan and Ellie are ready to leave, the Cupfer family enters. Buddy is very excited to meet Mr. Cochran. Cochran comes in and says that Buddy sold more silver shamrock masks than anybody else in the country. Cochran introduces himself to Dan and Ellie, who introduce themselves as the Smiths. <laughs> Ellie's skin is flawless here. Yes. Like, she looks airbrushed. I know. Like, that woman is gorgeous. I wonder what she looks like now. So, Cochran tells... Dan and Ellie, that Marge was flown to San Francisco for treatment, and he's covering their order for the masks. Buddy asks if Dan and Ellie can come on the tour with him, and Cochran is like, oh, yeah, I was just going to ask them if they wanted to. <laughs> so now we see a tour of the factory. Workers are making the masks, and one of the workers looks like it could be Amy Adams's mom. Yeah, I, I didn't see this. Oh, uh, she like pulls one of the masks out, and she's like kind of like, Looking at it. Yeah. Like quality checking it. Does she have like a low ponytail? Yeah. 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 She looked like she could be Amy Adams's mom. I just didn't really see it. So Dan and Ellie look around for clues while they're taking their factory tour. There's a little Hall of Fame room showing all the novelties that Cochran used to make. He was the king of the practical joke, including sticky toilet paper, the dead dwarf gag, and the soft chainsaw. I've met this guy now. I don't. He's not funny. And then Buddy says, the man has always had an attention to detail. That's going to be important later. Yeah. Buddy Jr. wants a mask right off the line, but Cochran's like, whoa, 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 no. See, that hasn't gone through final processing. So here, just take one of these. And then Buddy's like, hey, tell me about this final processing. And Cochran's like, oh, you know, it's just a little of this, little of that. Mm -hmm. And Buddy's like, come on, let me see it. I'm your top salesman. And he's like, "Uh, there's volatile chemicals involved. You can't. But here, put this on your kid's head. <laughs> yeah. And then Cochran's like, okay, he's just going to keep up with this if I don't shut him down. Would you like to join me for breakfast tomorrow? I'd like to get your ideas on some commercials. Oh. So Buddy's ego is stroked, and he agrees. 
Betty Cuffer is talking to Ellie and tells her that Cochrane is one of the richest men in the country. They're out on a loading dock behind the factory, and Dan notices several suited men stationed around. They're on rooftops, they're standing between semis, they're in doorways. They're everywhere. Yeah. He gets the ogies, and he's like, hey, Ellie, it's time that we go now. And Dan tells Ellie that the suited men look a lot like the guy who killed her dad. A door opens, a forklift pulls out, revealing Harry Grimbridge's car inside the building, crudely covered in a tarp. Ellie goes running for the car, and at least six suited men rush in to block her. They're like, no, you're not getting to that car. Cochran sees the hubbub and tells Buddy Cupfer, trade secrets, ha 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 And then he gets a very menacing look on his face, mm-hmm. and Ellie and Dan are like, yeah, we're, we're going to go ahead and leave. Yeah. How do they think that he's a, like, jokester? He doesn't seem to have much of a sense of humor. He doesn't have much of a personality. No. But he is the old guy. He's the bad guy in um, RoboCop, so I can forgive it. Okay. Back in the motel room, Ellie is frantically packing, and Dan is going to go call the cops about Harry's car being at the factory. Ellie urges him to hurry. As he leaves the room, the camera slowly zooms in on the motel room door. Uh-oh. That means something bad's going to happen. You think so? Dan goes to the office and tries to call the operator, and he gets a notice that his call cannot be completed as dialed. It sounds a lot like the curfew voice from the loudspeakers. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a normal operator. The Silver Shamrock ad plays on a TV in the background. Dan leaves the office visibly shaken, and John Carpenter tense music plays. The door to their room is open, and Ellie is nowhere to be found. Uh Uh-oh. Dan turns to leave the room, and he sees five emotionless suited men standing in the road. They start toward him in unison. He closes the door and runs into the bathroom. The outside door is broken down by two punches of one of the suited men. Mm Mm-hmm. They look like they're going to start a ska band. They do. Dan escapes out of the bathroom window of the motel room and he's running down an alleyway as silver shamrock company cars are driving around looking for him he has to keep diving and ducking behind things (laughs) it's it's great action it's stealthy and he sees another car drive into the factory loading dock suited men get out of it and pull a bound ellie from the back seat well at least now he knows where she's at yeah and he's probably thinking why didn't i think to tie her up (laughs) He finds a phone booth and tries to call 911. The curfew voice tells him that his call cannot be completed as dialed. Another silver shamrock car drives by him and stops for a moment outside the phone booth. And Dan just like shrinks down. He's like, don't see me. Don't <laughs> I see say, me. It is painted like halfway down the, the phone booth. But the fact that he just slides down it instead of ducking. <laughs> and the look on his face while he's doing it, he's like. If I move like this, they can't see me. (laughs) So the car pulls away, and Dan bails and runs to the factory. He sneaks onto the factory grounds under a fence, but more SS patrol cars come up. Yeah, that's Silver Shamrock. He tries to get in a window, but the lights in the room turn on with another great synthy sting. And he opens a window, or no, he finds an open window, and he gets into the plant. The factory floor is deserted, and he walks through with... Very noisy shoes. Yes, he's like thumping. He's not sneaking. (laughs) No. (laughs) He sneaks around like a man in a spy movie with moody scores playing. He dodges out of the the view of security cameras 
and he finds an office room. Then he pushes open an interior door in the office and finds an old woman knitting. He demands of the woman to know where Ellie is, and he shakes her, and her head comes off. Okay, why would this random old lady know where Ellie was? I don't know. And can you also imagine shaking someone and thinking their head just came off? Oh, that'd be <laughs> jarring. Yes. But when her head comes off, we can see that there are gears inside her neck. She's just a robot. She's it's okay. just a robot. A suited man grabs him from behind and hucks him a good 10 feet into some boxes. I'm sorry if you can hear our child yelling. <laughs> they won't be able to. Dan gets up and punches the man in the face a few times, but it doesn't phase the emotionless man at all. He's like, I'm wearing a suit. I've got leather gloves. You <laughs> think punching my face is going to hurt me? No, I'm tough. So they wrestle to the floor. Dan ends up on top and he punches the suited man in the stomach a few times. And then the suited man's eyes go wide and he doesn't make a sound. Dan looks very shocked. And the camera pans down to show him pulling his hand out of the midsection of the suited man. Dan's hand is covered in yellow goo, and he's holding a bunch of electrical wires that he's pulling out of the suited man's guts. Ew! Yellow goo spills from the suited man's mouth, and two more suited men grab Dan from behind and hoist him to his feet as Cochran comes into the room holding the head of the knitting old woman robot. The goo looked like it was like non-chilled lemon pudding. Yeah? I was <laughs> going to say... uh. Like school cafeteria chicken gravy. Ew! <laughs> Cochrane tells Dan that the old woman robot was a very rare piece made in Germany, 1785. Dan asks where Ellie is, and Cochrane tells him that she's resting. Then he calls Dan by his real name, not his fake Mr. Smith <gasps> name. And he says, Mr. Chalice, or should I say, Dr. Chalice? How does he know? He even knows his first name. Mm-hmm. It's doctor. <laughs> After you go to school and get your degree, legally change your first name. <laughs> we should have named Nolan Doctor. No. Then he could go to school and they'd be like, Dr. Sawtell. <laughs> <laughs> so Cochran says, it'll be morning soon. Halloween morning. It'll be a very busy day for me. Being a medical man, you should find it quite interesting. Dan is looking rather knackered and he's wiping the yellow goo off of his hand. <laughs> Cochrane leads him away, and the screen reads, Sunday the 31st, Halloween. We see the sunrise over Santa Mira. The moody score continues. It, it's almost like a dragging version of the Halloween theme here. Yeah. The suited men lead Dan into the final processing area and into an elevator. Cochrane stops to enjoy the morning on the loading dock, and he's looking quite pleased with himself. He has all the things he wants. Yes. In the elevator, Cochrane tells him that his robot-suited men are actually pretty easy to produce. The outer features are hardest to perfect. And then one of the suited men sneezes. Cochrane tells Dan that they are loyal and obedient, not like most human beings. They get off the elevator and go into downstairs tunnels. It's weird because they get off an elevator and then they walk down like three flights of stairs. But it's just to the like secret holding area the i call it the control room sure so now it's time for cochran to do his bond villain spill the beans about his evil plan thing and he says those who went before me you know they never dreamed of anything like this then he shows dan his ancient technology standing before him but he says a great magician never reveals his tricks 
but you have time to figure it out all by yourself. What? I, I don't know. Dan has walked into a room filled with white coat robot men who are working on computers the size of buffet tables. And there are TV monitors, like little 10-inch TV mm -hmm. monitors on these big metal shelving units. And a large rock stands in the background. And white-coated robots are scraping pieces off the rock. Mm -hmm. Cochran reveals that the large rock is the missing stone from Stonehenge. Oh, you were right. That does come back yeah. around. Then he tells us that Stonehenge was an ancient sacrificial circle. And then he, oh, we had a time getting it here. You wouldn't believe how we did it. Aliens. Tell, tell me. <laughs> he holds up a stone taken from the larger stone and explains to Dan that the stone has power to it. Even just a particle of the stone contains this power. Then he puts the piece of stone into one of the silver shamrock tags that goes on the masks. Cochran walks Dan over to one of the TV monitors and shows him a video of Ellie strapped to a table and Marge's dead body under a sheet. But he assures Dan that he didn't kill Marge. She was just the victim of a misfire. Then he tells Dan, what you really need to see is a demonstration, and there's one coming right up. He hits a key on one of the massive computers, and the 10-inch screen changes to a living room setup. We cut inside the living room, and it's kind of odd. They're like concrete and metal walls mm -hmm. with like support beams in them. But then there's like paintings of flowers hanging on the wall. Like it looks like a living room from a bomb shelter. Yes. And there's a couch and a recliner. Yeah. And there's some curtains on the wall. And there's yeah, there's like paintings. Yeah. And the Cupfer family is marched in by some suited men who do not talk to them at all. And Buddy Jr. goes straight for the TV. Oh, and there's like house plants. Mm -hmm. and nice lamps. Yeah. It's a nice living room. One of the suited men hands Buddy Sr. a notepad and a pen, still without saying a word, and just walks out of the room and shuts the door. A placard on the door reads, Test Room A. We see the living room set up with the cupfers on the monitor again, and we hear Buddy say, Mr. Cochran will be right along. Betty and Buddy Jr. complain about the room and being freaked out, and Buddy says that Cochran just wants his insights on some commercials, that's all. He's frustrated that they won't take his orders for next Halloween because you know he likes to work ahead. And then his wife Betty jokes, maybe they aren't going to have Halloween next year. <laughs> She's not good at acting. No. But she is a vibe. Yeah, I like her vibe. So Cochran gives the order to a robot man to roll the commercial. It's an ad with the silver shamrock jingle telling kids to put on their masks and watch the magic pumpkin. The jack-o'-lantern we saw in the opening of the movie appears on the screen and starts flashing on and off. As it flashes, so does the shamrock tag on the back of Buddy Jr.'s mask. Betty laughs and thinks they're being punked. The jingle on the TV has turned to just a few notes repeating over and over again. It's just do 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 And the screen flashes in time with the beat. Buddy Jr. grabs the sides of his head through the mask, and the camera cuts to in front of Bo Buddy Jr., and his mask appears to be melting to his head. He falls to the floor, and his parents look very concerned. We see Cochran looking at Dan with a very pleased expression on his face. 
It almost looks like it, like his head turns into like a real pumpkin. Yeah. Like it's. I'm not sure what happens. Wasn't there a Goosebumps book about that? Like you put a mask on and like your head becomes the mask. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Was that the haunted mask? Maybe. That sounds familiar. So we cut back to Buddy Jr. He's lying on the floor in the test room, and roaches and locusts start pouring out of his mouth hole on his mask. His eyes are wide open but motionless, just like Marge's mm-hmm. were after the laser beam misfire. Miss Cupfer faints, and then snakes start to come out of Buddy Jr.'s mouth, and Buddy Sr. starts screaming. He tries to get out of the room, but the door is locked. Then he's bitten by one of the rattlesnakes that came out of his kid's mouth. We cut back to Dan, who brings up his fists next to his face while gritting his teeth in deep emotion. I don't like any of the scene in the living room. Yeah, it's uh, like it's pretty rad, though. It's rad, but all that stuff coming out of a kid's face. Yeah. Yes, and then Dan's. <laughs> he, do you remember like Steve Perry? Yeah. How he would always like clench his fist <laughs> and like shake it yeah, to emphasize but this was, points. Like, one on each side. Yes. That he's gritting his teeth and he slowly closes his eyes. So the whole time this scene is happening, the music is still looping on just those few notes, just that do 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 We see Buddy Sr. fall to the floor, and there's snakes crawling on Betty. Buddy Jr. is lifeless on the floor, and he has awesome Adidas shoes. Oh, I didn't pay attention to his shoes. <laughs> the music stops, and Dan is led away by suited robot men. And there are still white-coated robot men chiseling away at the, the Stonehenge piece for some reason. And I'm like, uh, it's Halloween. The masks are already out in the stores. Why are you still chipping away at the rock? But not everybody bought a mask. Maybe they're getting ready for next Halloween. Do you really think people are going to buy more silver shamrock masks after tonight? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Have you met America? Well, that's true. Just make a TikTok telling them that it's the cool thing to do and they'll run out and buy the Stanley Cups. I mean, the silver shamrock masks. So the silver shamrock jingle plays over a black screen. Then we see an ad playing on the TVs at the electronics store from earlier. Now the lyrics are, happy, happy Halloween, you know, instead of a countdown because it's actually Halloween Mm -hmm. now. We see kids eagerly grabbing their silver shamrock masks from store shelves. And the ad says, it's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TVs for the horror-thon and turn it up <laughs> for the big giveaway at nine. I don't know what he says there. Don't miss it and don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. I like his voice. That's uh, Tommy Lee Wallace, the director's voice. Oh, really? Yep. While this ad is playing, we see kids trick-or-treating in Dayton, Ohio, kids buying their silver shamrock masks in NYC, Kids in Omaha and Baton Rouge wearing their masks, including a kid that's dressed like a figure skater on a skateboard with a silver shamrock jack-o'-lantern mask on. (laughs) I thought that was weird. But, you know, do you. (laughs) Then we get one of my favorite shots in any horror movie ever. In Los Angeles, a kid in kind of like a Heidi-style dress with a silver shamrock skull mask, (laughs) a kid in a fairy costume with a silver shamrock witch mask, and a kid in a pirate costume with a silver shamrock jack-o'-lantern mask walk past the camera with the smoggy skyline in the background mm-hmm. and like the sun's starting to set and it's yeah. all orange glowy. and It's pretty cool. It's a really cool visual. Yeah. 
On the street in Seattle, a silver shamrock van drives through the streets with a loudspeaker on the top reminding the kids to get home because it's almost time for the big giveaway. But what's the giveaway? Free shit. (laughs) Shaving cream. We see Dan's kids sitting way too close to the TV wearing their silver shamrock masks and bobbing their head along with a jingle. In Phoenix, Arizona, we get another amazing shot of an orange and red sunset with trick-or-treaters wearing their silver shamrock masks and they're like silhouetted against the sunset. Yeah, I liked this one better. I like all of them. Do you? I just like, I really liked this one because you just get the silhouette of the kids. Like you can't really like tell features. I like to switch my, uh, my social media profile pictures to that the week of Halloween. But seriously, that that shot is so great. Yeah. It really drives home, like, I, I feel like it gives you the feeling of how horrible the night could become. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, look at all these kids wearing the masks. Yeah. They're all, they all have snakes in their heads. Yeah. So now we cut to Teddy dialing the motel that Dan and Ellie were staying at. She's looking over some parts and pieces that she's been analyzing for Dan. She can't get it through on the phone to the hotel. So she calls somebody else and asks them to come down to the coroner's office to look at what she's found. She says, it doesn't look like a car part. And she's holding a piece that looks just like the gears inside of the old knitting woman robot head. (gasps) While she's on the phone, a suited robot man walks into the room next to her. He looks around and finds a cabinet. He opens the drawer on the cabinet and takes out a power drill with a very large bit on it. Yeah. Teddy is still fondling the mechanical piece and looking at it and looking at the other wires and gears and springs. Then she seems to put it all together, and she says, Oh my God. And she calls the operator and asks to be put through to the sheriff. How? How did she just, like, look at that and was like, Oh, there's robot men. Hey, Teddy's smart. Okay. She doesn't get her dinners for nothing. Yeah. A leather-gloved hand of the suited man slams down on the phone, and then Teddy is dragged to the floor by the robot man who holds her head against the floor, and he gets on top of her and starts just, like, lowering the drill at her Mm -hmm. face. The camera cuts to the adjoining room, and all we see is Teddy's feet flailing on on the floor and the back of the suited robot man, and we hear the drill whirring, and then it starts to labor. Yeah. As he pushes his arm down. Ew. And then Teddy's feet stop wiggling. And that was, like... That was a powerful kill. Yeah. Especially for not showing it. Yeah. Most of the time I'm like, oh, you did it off screen. Yeah. But that one, I was like, that was perfect. And then the suited robot man just gets up and walks out like, okay, well. Eh. Did that. Now we see Santa Mira's Main Street. The screen reads 7.30 p.m. The camera flicks around between all of the Santa Mira locations we've seen previously in the movie before cutting to one of the basement rooms in the factory. Dan is tied to a chair with a TV next to him. Cochrane stands before him and tells him, Enjoy the horathon, Doctor, and don't forget to watch the big giveaway afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Dan asks, Why, Cochrane? Why? And Cochrane replies, Do I need a reason? Mr. Cuffer was right, you know. I do love a good joke. And this is the best joke ever. A joke on the children. But there's a better reason. You don't really know much about Halloween. You thought no further than the strange custom of having your children wear masks and go out begging for candy. It was the start of the year in our old Celtic lands, and we'd be waiting in our houses of wattles and clay. 
The barriers would be down, you see, between the real and the unreal, the dead and the living. Oh, nope. And the dead <laughs> might be looking in to sit by our fires of turf. Halloween, the festival of Samhain. The last great one took place 3,000 years ago, and the hills ran red with the blood of animals and children. And then Dan says, sacrifices. <laughs> and Cochrane says, it was part of our world, our craft. And Dan cuts in and goes, witchcraft. <laughs> it's so dramatic. <laughs> and it was so perfect because this was like right at the beginning of the satanic panic. Yeah. And then Cochrane says, to us, it was a way of controlling our environment. It's not so different now. It's time again. In the end, we don't decide these things, you know. The planets do. They're in alignment, and it's time again. The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. I'm glad you'll be able to watch it. And happy Halloween. So, we know the whole plan now. Mm -hmm. We know why he's doing it. Yeah. We know why now. Yeah. We know, we know that snakes are going to come out all the kids' heads. How? With the laser beam. <laughs> laser beams make snakes they do uh oh witchcraft 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 so Cochrane puts a skeleton mask on dan and leaves the room and he turns on the tv and the beginning of the final chase scene from halloween plays the clock above the door reads 749 Cochrane goes back out into the super high-tech control room and looks at one of the robot workers dan is on the screen on one of the tv monitors and he wiggles his way across the room on his chair, and he kicks out the screen on the TV. <laughs> because he has that ghost mask, like, on his head. This seems, like, hilarious. I know. <laughs> and he's such a big guy. I know. It's just really funny. So Dan gets his hands free now, and he dramatically peels off the mask. He tosses the mask over the security camera that's watching him on the first try. That was a lucky throw. And a robot guy informs Cochran that they can no longer see Dan on the screen. Dan is fully out of his restraints now, and he pulls a vent screen off of an air duct and climbs up. It's 8.11 p.m. He's running out of time. He crawls through the air ducts like John McClane and Die Hard, and we see suited robot men discovering that Dan is gone from the room, and likely up in the air ducts. He dodges some security cameras and re-enters the factory from a rooftop door. He has to dodge some suited robot men, and he finds a phone. He calls his ex and tells her that she has to get rid of the silver shamrock mass. He explains to her that the Cupfers were just killed. And he begs her again. Because she knows who the Cupfers are. Yeah. <laughs> he begs her again to get rid of the mask. And she's like, you're just jealous because the kids like my masks more. Yeah, it's probably true. Some more suited goons come into the room and Dan has to bail. And then he finds the room where Ellie is strapped to the table. He frees her while Cochran and his robots look on on the TV monitors. The suited robots go to intercept Dan and Ellie. It's 8.26. We're running out of time. I know. Dan and Ellie get back into the control room and sneak behind a wheeled cart full of masks like a Looney Tunes cartoon. They're wheeling the rack across the room and just walking behind it like no one will notice this rack of masks. I know. It's so ridiculous. I... <laughs> Until this watching of this movie, I've probably seen this movie 20, 20 or so times. Uh -huh. I had never noticed how ridiculous that was. Yeah. I'm just like, really? That's yeah. what we went with. Not like they could have found another door and they just came in on the other side of the room. No. 
We're going to sneak behind this cart. Oh, boy. So Dan, he sets a plan in motion after he finds a big box full of the silver shamrock tags. He sneaks to the massive Death Star-style computers and he starts the giveaway ad. Then he runs away very dorkily. <laughs> Cochran points to him and the suited robot men give chase. Nobody's talking. Well, no. <laughs> the white-coated robot man can't figure out how to stop the video. Dan and Ellie get to the catwalk above the control room and they drop the tags from the box onto the robot workers below. It fries them all. Then a sound starts emitting from the Stonehenge piece behind Cochran. A large blue laser circle forms over the control computers. Cochran looks up at Dan and Ellie on the catwalk and gives them a playful little golf clap. They rush away. <laughs> That's weird. The blue laser beam shoots from the control computer and the Stonehenge piece at the same time with Cochran stuck in between them. The lasers hit him from both sides, and then he glows white and just fades out and disappears. <laughs> Yeah. That was I weird. Don't, he should have like at least blown up. Yeah. Around the control room, the boxes full of the silver shamrock tags start sparking and exploding, and then the Stonehenge rock has sparks and explosions coming off of it. I mean, it looks like an Ozzy Osbourne concert going yeah. on. Outside the factory, Dan and Ellie are escaping with probably the worst fake fire <laughs> I have ever seen in the history of movies behind them. It's pretty good. They get in Ellie's car and speed away from Santa Mira. Dan scans radio stations and Ellie looks concerned. And I just noticed she hasn't spoken a word since he got her out of that room. Nope. And she woke up awfully fast. Uh-huh. So Dan says they have to call someone or do something. Then he asks Ellie if she's all right. And she's like, you know, I'm so glad you asked. I'm going to respond to that by not talking and just grabbing your face violently and wrenching your head around. <laughs> This causes Dan to crash the car into a tree. He stumbled out, stumbles out of the wrecked ride, and he sees Ellie's right arm was ripped off in the crash. Guys, it's a robot arm. Oh, no. Ellie's a robot now. Bummer. Then Ellie comes out of the darkness with a synthy stinger and starts one-handed choking Dan. She has a mean robot look on her face, and Dan reaches into the trunk of the car that opened in the crash and grabs a tire iron. He bashes Ellie Robot in the face with it a few times. She stops attacking and spits yellow goo while her arm wires from her severed arm twitch around. <laughs> then Dan performs the coup de gras on her by decapitating her with a tire iron. That's true love. It is. I won't let you live as a robot. <laughs> her head and bo body fall to the ground separately, but the head is still looking back towards the car. Dan goes back to the car and is attacked by the Ellie arm that is no longer attached. Ew. And it strangles him and pulls at his neck. <laughs> and it paws at his face while he grunts and groans. Then he finally tosses the arm into a field. He just like hucks it out into that field. Yeah. Know? He's like, football. Yeah. But how much fun would that be to like grab somebody's hand and like. Oh, yeah. <sighs> like a like, frisbee. He like Uncle Rico's it. Yeah. Bet you I could throw an Ellie arm over them mountains. <laughs> Guys, it's 8.50 p.m. Oh, no. He only has 10 minutes. It's 10 minutes. Then robot Ellie's body makes one more attempt to kill him, but runs out of killing steam and falls to the ground. Dan takes off running through the woods now, and we see the station attendant from earlier in the movie. Dan runs up to him and says, Your phone! Your phone! Where is it? It's life and death! 
The attendant just points to the building and Dan runs inside. And the station attendant says, hey, don't I know you? Yeah, you do. The clock on the wall in the station reads 9 p.m. Dan is on the phone trying to talk someone into pulling the Silver Shamrock ad from the air. He tells them if they don't, it will kill millions of people. Kids come into the gas station wearing their Silver Shamrock masks, and the attendant gives them candy out of a hubcap. That's nice of him. Uh Uh-huh. And he looks very happy. He's like, you came trick-or-treating at my gas station. Yeah. One of the kids goes to the TV screen, but the ad cuts off, and we hear someone say, we're experiencing technical difficulties. The kid changes the station, and a please stand by screen is on the next channel. The kid changes the channel again, and the ad is running on TV. Dan says into the phone, it's still running. Stop it. For God's sake, please stop it. There's no more time. You've got to stop it. Please stop it. Stop it now. Turn it off. Stop it. He says stop it a lot. And the camera cuts between his face and the flashing jack-o'-lantern on the screen as he repeats, stop it. (laughs) Credits. Yeah. That that was that. That was the movie. Yeah. I guess I didn't write down a number for my... um... Body count? Body count. It's nine. Okay, sounds good. Do you want me to start? Yes. We start with Harry and his skull was pulled apart by a cyborg. Skull annihilation. (laughs) That'd be a good band name. Yeah. Number two is the out-of-work townie. He gets his head ripped off. Marge Gutman has a laser beam busted her face open. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Buddy Jr., Head turned into scary animal cornucopia. Ew. Um, Betty Cupfer. Then I put, did she die? Because she fainted, but I'm guessing the bugs and snakes got to her eventually. I think so, because she had snakes crawling on her at the end. Yeah. Buddy Cupfer, bitten by a rattlesnake. Teddy got a drill to the head. Uh Uh-huh. Ellie. We don't know. Ellie might still be alive. I, I don't know. Maybe he just made an Ellie robot. Maybe. And then Cochran, something happened to him. I think he was absorbed (laughs) by Stonehenge. (laughs) He transformed in some way. Yeah. But then I put Kids of America? Question mark. We don't know. Uh Uh-oh. So what are your reactions? I like what they tried to do with this movie, but they could have done it a lot better. Mm -hmm. Uh, The music's on point. Yeah. You can't go wrong with Carpenter. The cinematography, I thought, was really solid. Mm -hmm. And for the time, most of the special effects were really good. Yeah. Uh, The suited robot men, I thought, were really good villains. But Cochran, not a good final boss. No. He's too chatty. He's too over the top. But, like, in an understated way, if that makes sense. Yeah. He's over the top, but too pulled back. Mm Mm-hmm. Watching him, it was kind of like watching a stage actor from the 40s try to be in a 1980s movie with no direction on how to act in a movie. Oh, like exactly probably what happened. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) But the whole bad guy tells us his plan and motive thing, it's so played out. Yeah. And I thought it really dragged down the climax of the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, let us discover it. Well, and it's like, did we even really need a reason? No. Why can't he just be evil? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> what were your reactions um i put the this isn't a bad movie per se i think it just gets a bad rap because it's tied to the halloween name if yeah. this was a standalone movie i think it would have done a lot better well and mustafa cod said that yeah at the halloween 25 years of terror convention 
he was like, Halloween 3 is a great horror movie. Yes. And like the whole crowd went nuts. Yeah. And he was like, the only mistake we made was we called it Halloween 3. We mm-hmm. should have just called it Season of the Witch. Yep. And everybody would have loved it. Yes. And that's I, it's unfortunate that the series didn't go the way that they had intended, mm-hmm. like as being an anthology. Yeah. Because it ruined this movie. But it's still a good movie. Yeah. It, if they hadn't made the second movie a Michael movie. Yeah. I think they could have made it an anthology. Oh, yeah. But people got attached to Michael. Well, it's like they could have even done it after the second. But like you have to give us some knowledge of it. Like, Yeah. You know, at least like maybe have it start out in Haddonfield. Yeah. Or maybe have like somebody from Haddonfield is like, I got out of there. I moved to California. Yeah. Tie it to it somehow. Yeah. Do you have any production facts? Joe Dante was slated to be the original director of this. Joe Dante, who directed Gremlins. Oh. He left the film to direct a segment in the Twilight Zone in which a couple of people were killed by a helicopter. Like, real life people. Like, they died. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. He left this movie just a couple of weeks before it started filming to do the Twilight Zone. And... Deaths happened. That's not good. Going on what I said earlier, originally Carpenter and Hill wanted the Halloween series to go in a different direction. They said it was our intention to create an to create an anthology out of the series, sort of along the lines of Twilight Zone or Night Gallery, only on a much larger scale. Each year a new film would be released that focused on some aspect of the Halloween season. Which I think that would have been fucking awesome. Yeah, that would have been badass. Yeah. But that's not where it went. No. Unfortunately. Because the Akkad man wanted money. The Akkad man. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis voiced the operator on the phone and the voice telling Santa Mira residents that it was curfew time. Oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. The Silver Shamrock song is played 14 times in this movie. I knew it was a lot, but <laughs> fuck. <laughs> The actors who played Marge Gutman and Dr. Dan Chalice were married in real life. Oh, really? Yes. Um, The fluid that comes out of the robot's mouths is actually orange juice concentrate. Ew. (laughs) The actor who played the suited robot man who ripped the down on his luck guy's head off played the shape in Halloween 2. And what's his name? Cockwitch. (laughs) Dick Warlock. But I I didn't have any more facts. You got more facts? I don't. Do you have goofs? I have one. Really? You want to know what it is? What? Them hiding behind the cart? My biggest goof is fucking time zones. <laughs> we saw kids all over the country were being instructed to go home at 9 p.m. for yep. the big giveaway. We saw kids in New York City. We saw kids in Ohio. We saw kids in Omaha. But maybe that was 9 o'clock their time. Exactly. Nine o'clock their time is 6 p.m. No. Nine o'clock in the eastern, nine o'clock in the central, nine o'clock in the mountain, and then nine o'clock in the west. Mandy, time zones. No. I'm saying they could have played the commercial an hour, an hour, an hour, and an hour. Exactly. That's my problem. When the kids in New York City were having their heads turn into bug cornucopias, do you think somebody would have called someone and been like, 
oh my god, all these kids' heads that were wearing silver shamrock masks watching this ad There's on TV. There's no way they would have had it figured out in three hours before they had it played in California. No, I think after the first thing, they would have been like, maybe we should take this ad <laughs> off the air because it just turned all these kids' heads into Yeah, but into how would they know factories. that it was the commercial? Because they were all sitting in front of the TV <laughs> watching the commercial with their silver shamrock masks. Yeah, I'm just saying. Okay. You, you could have hit the East Coast. I know. We can argue with it. But you could have hit the East Coast, but nobody else is dying that night. Yeah. Mandy? Because you think a lot of people are, like, you have to remember the year. It's 82. I was born in 82. We had phones. I know you had phones, <laughs> but it's not like it was Halloween night. It's not like people are sitting around their TV. Well, then this was a shitty plan because nobody's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean to, like, watch the news, you know? And it's not like people would be calling each other, like, hey, somebody's kid just their face exploded if my kid's face exploded i would be calling everybody <laughs> <laughs> all i'm saying is time zones ruin this movie okay who are you i'm teddy because i'm just gonna sit at my desk and bitch about how someone above me did their job wrong and fucked up my work oh that's true they gave me the wrong envelope i put that you're cochran oh no why because you would make a bunch of minions do your work. Oh, yeah. And then plan on destroying as much of America as possible. Because don't we all feel that way a little bit right now? Bring the asteroid. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah, maybe I'm Cochrane. <laughs> do you want to know who I said you were? Yep. You're Ellie because you're hot and you have brown eyes. Oh, thank you. I love you. I put that I miss Cupfer, Betty. Because <laughs> I would be convinced that the whole thing was a joke and that they were just like playing a trick on us. And be like, how'd they get little buddy Jr. in on this? Yeah. Where are you at, Ashton? Okay. <laughs> Final thoughts and ratings time. You go first. Okay. I gave this a six out of 10. <gasps> Me too. Because this movie is a solid six. Mm hmm. It's not a bad movie, but I think it was held back from being a good movie by a few little things. I took points off for the bad acting, the cheesy climax reveal stuff, mm -hmm. having the main character that I really didn't like. Yeah. I felt no connection to Dan. He's at gross. All. And then the whole Ellie robot thing in the climax, it wasn't needed at all. No. Like he could have just walked into a room and seen her dead. And I think that would have been a lot more powerful than going all deadly friend on us. Mm-hmm. All in all, though, I really enjoy the movie, and I, I defend it a lot. When people are like, Halloween 3 sucks, I'm like, have you actually watched it? Yeah. Um, I wish they could have done what Carpenter and Hill thought of and released a new movie every year in like an anthology series. Mm -hmm. I think that would have been great. And I wish that it had happened, but the crowd wants the shape, and the funders want the crowd's money. So in the end, Mustafa Akkad wins. He wins. What did you think? I also rated this 6 out of 10. That makes our uh, combined score very easy. I know. Um, and I put, I think that if 2 didn't exist, this movie would have done much better. Yes. Um, but people were expecting Michael, and there's no Michael. Nope. Um, I do like the nods to playing the original, like, on TV throughout. And I like to... Uh... When they call Dan into the hospital, the nurse tells him, she's like, sorry, I had to call you in, but Dr. Castle left. Yeah. Like, just, just all the little mm -hmm. things like that. And then Dick Warlock being in yeah. it. Um, I wish they could have made the series more along the lines of, like, the Twilight Zone. I think that would have been really cool. Mm -hmm. Just have Twilight Zone movies every year. Um, 
Now that said, the movie isn't that great, but it is. I mean, the acting's horrible. Some of the special effects are pretty decent. I think the plot's okay. It's halfway there. Um, I wish they could have gone more in-depth with it. Um, and I said, this is a great sci-fi movie. Yes. But not a great, like, so great horror movie. No, and they really tried to play up the horror, I think. Yes. They were like, no, it's not a sci-fi movie, even though we have weird sci-fi synthy stinger sounds in yeah. the background all like, the time. I wish they would have just kept that. Like, you didn't need so much blood and I don't want to say blood and gore but like mm-hmm. they didn't need that like that one critic that I read where it was like they didn't know what they wanted to do yeah I agree with that well and I, I feel like it kind of vacillates between comedy and serious yeah it's like did they want it to be campy or did they want this to be played seriously mm-hmm. like they couldn't make up their minds yeah and it was like it wasn't just the directing I think it was a problem with the script oh, too yeah it was just, it was really weird, but I like it. I like it. I enjoy it. Sorry, I had to look around because the dog's like snorting behind me. <laughs> Would you like to tell the kiddos where they can find us on the interweb? I will. So you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Blue Sky at Franchise Frights Pod, X and Snapchat at F Frights Pod, or you can go to our website, www.franchisefrightspodcast.com. And guys, you definitely want to tune in next Thursday because we're going to be reviewing Friday the 13th Part 3. D. It was so good. (laughs) It's a monumentous accomplishment in cinematic history. Yep. And they uh, really put that 3D in there for you. Oh, yeah. There's a yo-yo. Oh, I haven't gotten to the yo-yo yet. Oh, boy. Just wait. I had a joint passed in my face. Yeah. And there's some popcorn later. Oh. Oh, it's so good. So I guess until next Thursday, remember, Remember, they they always always come come back. I ran out of LaCroix way too early. Oh, no.